And now I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the prophecy of Jeremiah. The prophecy of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, which you can find if you're inside on Pew Bible page number 746. Pew Bible page number 746. The words of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a bookmark for your Bible, some of you have these fancy ribbons. My Bible's got two of them. You might want to place one right here in Jeremiah because, Lord willing, we're going to be here for quite a while, probably a year or more if we take some breaks along the way. Maybe we'll just be about finishing it next year when that potential sabbatical would start. Studying Jeremiah on Sundays as a church gets us kind of back on track with our big project that we've been pursuing for the last 20 years in the pulpit ministry. Starting in 2003, I began to preach through the big story of the Bible, kind of systematically working our way through the big story in the Old Testament, and then toggling over some to the New Testament, and then, to, and then back again. Some of you have been along for the whole ride. Peter was born during the book of Genesis, right? So he's been along for the whole thing so far. And by the way, he's one of those people we're voting on about membership today. So if you don't want Peter in the membership, come, come to the meeting today to vote him, vote him out. Uh, I'm voting for, by the way, just, just to be clear about that. In 2003, we started Genesis. In 2005, we did Exodus. How many remember Exodus? The Red Sea Rescue, right? Yeah. And then in 2007, it was Numbers, because that's where the story carries on. Then in 2009, it was Joshua. And after that, each of the Old Testament books, we did a New Testament book. And some of those took a while, more than a year, like Luke and then Acts and then Romans. That took several years. And then Matthew, which took, I think, parts of four different years. But we've been returning on a pretty regular basis to the big story in the Old Testament. I've been teaching Leo and Jordan about that during our Bible study, studies recently. After Joshua, we did Judges, then Ruth, then First and Second Samuel. Remember David running around as a fugitive in First and Second Samuel? Some of you remember that one. And then after First and Second Samuel, in 2016 and 2017, we did First and Second what? Kings. That's right. Anybody remember First and Second Kings? Yes, a bunch of you. Remember this? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Those kings of Israel and Judah, they had just one job, keeping their kingdom strong in the covenant, but they failed again and again. And then the nation split into two, right? What was the northern kingdom called? Israel, right. And there were how many tribes? In the north, in the north. Ten, right. And what was the southern kingdom called? Judah, and how many tribes are down there? Two, that's right. So how many thumbs-up kings in the north? Anybody remember? How many thumbs-up kings in the north? Becky says zero. That's right. Big fat zero for Israel in the north. So eventually the Lord destroyed them through the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom was called Judah, and it had some thumbs-down kings like Israel, but it also had a few thumbs-up kings. And it also had a prophet who lived at the very end of the tragic time of 2 Kings, and his name was, guess, Jeremiah. It's open on your lap, right? 
Jeremiah. So getting into Jeremiah kind of merges us back into our big overarching study project. Like so many other things, COVID disrupted our project. And while I enjoyed returning to Philippians and 1 Peter and marinating in the Psalms for a couple of years, I think it's time to get back into and moving forward in that epic big story. Another one of the reasons I decided to preach Jeremiah right now is that I know that we need more of the prophets in our spiritual diet. I have not preached very much from the Old Testament prophets. In fact, aside from Hosea and Jonah, and Hosea was like 2006, I think, I haven't preached any of them all the way through. In fact, I can only remember one message I've preached from the book of Jeremiah in 24 years as your pastor. It's not like the book of Jeremiah is small or insignificant. Jeremiah might be the longest book in the Bible, depending on how you count. If you're going not by pages or chapters or verses, but by Hebrew words, it is the longest book in your Bible. It's about 5% of your Bible. Jeremiah is about 5% of your Bible. With, with 66 books out there, for one of them to be 5% of all of them, that's a lot of real estate in the Scriptures. And as we read it, there will be lots of familiar things. Some crazy stuff, too. Maybe stuff you've never heard before buried in there, like the time that Jeremiah was supposed to bury some of his clothes and then dig them up later. Did you ever hear that story? Lots of familiar things in there as well, including the most famous verse of Jeremiah for many people, 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We'll get there, chapter 29. And even more foundational, Jeremiah is the book that our Lord Jesus quotes at his supper. Right? From Jeremiah chapter 31 when he says, this is the new covenant. In my blood. That language is from Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. If anybody is saved in this room, it's because Jeremiah 31 is in your Bible. No salvation without it. And yet, Jeremiah is often ignored and goes unpreached. Raise your hands. Some of you come from different churches. I've just said what's happened the last 24 years, but how many of you have heard a sermon series that went all the way through all 52 chapters of Jeremiah? I'll give you, I'll give you a prize. You guys have. Awesome. All right, I'll, I'll have to get a prize to you afterward. Because I never have. I've heard sermons here and there from Jeremiah, but never a whole series that went through all 52 chapters. Some of you, all you know is that Jeremiah was a bullfrog. That's actually a different Jeremiah. But many of us know all the words to that song by Three Dog Night and don't know hardly anything about the real Jeremiah in our Bibles, God's Word. We need to fix that. So let's go back in time, more than 600 years before Jesus was even born, and read the first three verses of Jeremiah chapter 1, which set the stage for the whole thing. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. 
the word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Jeremiah is not an easy book to study. It's challenging. Partially because it's so long. It's hard to wrap your mind around something that's 52 chapters long. The longest book in your Bible. 5% of your Bible. And it's not just long, it's from long ago. Just reading these first three verses, I've probably gotten most of you lost, right? Who are all these people and when did all this go down? Jehoiakim, Zedekiah. Abe and Jordan are thinking, should we be naming our, son, our next kid Jehoiakim if it's a boy? To compli- they got a Spurgeon. Do we want a Jehoiakim? To complicate things further, Jeremiah does not proceed in chronological order. Uh-oh. 52 chapters and the order is not chronological? It's not even close. In fact, it's hard to figure out what the order actually is. For the last several months, I've been reading a stack of books on Jeremiah to get ready for this series, and all of the commentators seem to have their own idea of how the book is structured. Some of them actually try to rearrange it into a different order. People have been doing that with Jeremiah for like 2,000 years. I am not going to rearrange it for you in chronological order. We're just going to go chapter 1, chapter 2, and so forth. I believe Jeremiah is a work of art that isn't supposed to be read chronologically. It's more like a, like a music video or a movie with flashbacks and flash-forwards. And we, we know how to watch something like that, right? We get a sense of where we are. It's more like a panorama that hits you in different ways as it speaks to you as you read through it. But everybody agrees that chapter 1 is chronological. Chapter 1 is a great starting place and gives a true chronology for us. Chapter 1 tells the story of the calling of the prophet Jeremiah into his prophetic ministry. It's his start date, okay? It's his start date where he showed up ready to work. The first three verses also tell us about the beginning, middle, and end of his ministry. It definitely does orient us, so let's look at it more closely. Verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. So that's what we're going to call this, the words, Jeremiah's words, the words of Jeremiah. This book is full of Jeremiah. And we learn that Jeremiah was the son of a priest. So he might have become a priest himself, though there's no record of it. And he's from the city called Anathoth, a city about an hour's walk north and east of Jerusalem. It's still there today. It's the modern-day city of Anatta. It's in the southern kingdom of Judah. And verse 2 says, The word of the Lord came to him. That's really big. More on that big thought in just a second. When? When did the word of the Lord come to him? When did he start in ministry? Verse 2. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. That's his start date. Okay, does anybody remember if Josiah was thumbs up or thumbs down? Now, come on, we studied this 
in 20, February of 2017. So you've got you to remember that, right? It was only five years ago and we had COVID in between. Anybody remember? Josiah, thumbs up or thumbs down? Nancy says, pretty much thumbs up. Shelly says, pretty much thumbs up. That's right. Josiah was the very last thumbs up king in Judah. His grandfather was the very worst king Judah ever had, Manasseh. And his daddy Ammon was pretty awful too. But Josiah was basically thumbs up. He started really young. He started at age eight. Do we have any eight-year-olds in here today? Copper, you're nine. Is that right? All right, so a year younger than copper, Josiah became king. And he was a reformer. When he took over, he started to clean things up. It was during his reign that they found the book of the law in the temple. Anybody remember that story? Josiah began to clean things up, yet it did not last long. The people weren't really into it. We know that because of what they went right back to doing right as soon as he died. But Jeremiah began his ministry in the 13th year of Josiah's reign, which we can date to the year 627 B.C. 627 B.C. The word of the Lord came to him and stayed with him. Jeremiah then was a prophet for, catch this, 40 years. 40 years. Look at verse 3. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Follow that? Two different kings. There's actually two other kings of Judah during that time period, Jehoahaz and Jehoachin, but they each only lasted three months. They didn't last long. These three here are the big three, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Josiah was king from 640 to 609 B.C., Jeremiah started in 627. And Jehoiakim was king from 609 to 597 B.C., and he was absolutely terrible. Two thumbs down. Okay, so Jordan, don't name, if it's a boy, don't name him Jehoiakim, okay? Unless you're like trying to redeem that name somehow, okay? Jehoiakim is going to show up as the villain in this book again and again. Wait till you hear what he does in chapter 36. And then Zedekiah, who was also terrible, but in a different way because he couldn't make up his mind, was king from 597 to 586 B.C. And so that means that Jeremiah was a prophet in Judah from 627 to partway through 586, and that's just about 40 years. 40 years of prophecy. 40 years of decline. 40 years of speaking God's word, but people not listening to him. 40 years of steady, gradual, tragic decline. And then the exile happened. That was one of the worst moments in all of the Old Testament. When all the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, remember the promises of the Abrahamic covenant? There's three big ones. Land, children, offspring, and blessing, right? Well, all those promises were pulled back, seemingly cut off. The people were taken out of the land, out of blessing, and into cursing. 
The exile was one of the worst moments in the Bible. I think it's the worst moment in the Old Testament since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. The book of Jeremiah tells us in its first three verses that this book is a prophecy of a tragedy. Jeremiah is going to faithfully prophesy for 40 years and it will not change the course of the nation. It will not change the course of history. They will still go into exile. That's kind of depressing. I think that's one of the reasons why Jeremiah does not get preached very often. Because it's very sad. Jeremiah himself is very sad. This is a very personal book. When you read it, you can't help but feel things if you're really reading it. We get to find out what it's like to be a prophet. Jeremiah tells us what it's like from his own perspective, especially in how he talks to the Lord. But frankly, what it's like is kind of painful. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet, the sad one. He probably also wrote lamentations about the fall of Jerusalem in 586 and the exile. No wonder he was sad. Devastation everywhere he looked. His people pulled out of the land. It's hard to be a prophet, at least to be a true and faithful one in an age of decline. Because prophets tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. But that's one of the reasons why we should read this book, isn't it? Because it tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Seen that picture on, on the internet? I know there's a lot of pictures on the internet. That, that cartoon on the internet of like the line to go hear what, what you want to hear. And there's this long line and there's nobody standing at the other window. The line where you, of what you, what you need to hear. It's very, very, it's very easy to talk to the people that want to hear it. It's hard to talk to the people who don't. Well, the first thing the Lord told Jeremiah was, He was going to be a prophet, and he didn't have any choice about it. Look with me at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There's our title for today. The word of the Lord came to me. That's one of Jeremiah's favorite phrases. I think he uses it more than any other prophet does in the whole Bible. And that word for came to me could be translated happened to me. (laughs) Yahweh showed up and started talking to Jeremiah. And he gave Jeremiah something he had to say. It wasn't something he chose. It wasn't like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up, Jerry? And Jerry's like, I want to be a prophet when I grow up. No, Jeremiah was minding his own business and the Lord hit him with it. The word of the Lord came to me. Bam! Now notice how personal this is. Came to me, he says. We get the inside story from Jeremiah's own personal perspective. The Lord speaks directly to Jeremiah and tells him that he has always known him and always chosen him to be a prophet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This isn't something you have a choice about, Jeremiah. 
The word for appointed there is more like given. I've given you to be a prophet since before you were born. You're handmade for this, Jeremiah. Now that's really encouraging and also kind of scary, isn't it? What's really encouraging is that the Lord knows us from before we're born, from before we can do anything good or bad. And this knowing is not just information, it's election, like we saw in 1 Peter 1. Jeremiah was chosen by God before he was even formed in his mother's womb. And that also reminds us of the sanctity of human life, that unborn people are people too, and that they matter, like the PRC is always telling us. But it's also a little scary for Jeremiah because it's clear that this is something he's not going to get out of. He's given to it. He's been appointed a prophet or a a, a spokesman for God, and he's a prophet to the nations. Not just a prophet to Judah or about Judah, though that will be most of his work, but to and about the nations around Judah as well. They will factor in heavily in this book, especially in chapters 46 through 51. But it's not an accident that Jeremiah is going to be a prophet. It didn't just happen to him. This was Yahweh's plan from the beginning, from before the beginning. And Jeremiah is going to do it. Yet surprisingly, Jeremiah doesn't want to do it. He doesn't feel qualified. Look at verse 6. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. And he might have been very young. This isn't just an excuse he's throwing out there. Some scholars believe that he might have been in his early teens, like 13 or 14 at this time. Hey, Kevin, how do you feel about being a prophet? How old are you, Kevin? You're 16, aren't you? You're You're driving now. Stay off the sidewalks. Kevin Hurley's driving. Woo! How would you feel about being called to be a prophet right now? The Hebrew word here means youngster, and it could stretch from infant to young adult. He's saying, I'm just a kid. I'm not a speaker yet. Don't put me on the platform. Not yet. What I think is really interesting is that Jeremiah talks back to God. Jeremiah is not afraid to tell the Lord what he's thinking and feeling. We're going to see that again and again in this book. Now, he's not saying no. This isn't disobedience. He's not a Jonah turning and running the other way. But he is hesitant. And he does tell the Lord what he's thinking. He's thinking, I am just a kid. Are you sure about this, Yahweh? Verse 7, Yahweh is sure. But the Lord command you, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. That's really important. I have three points for you this morning as we come down to the end of this message. Three things that the Lord is saying to Jeremiah about the Lord's words in this chapter, and here's the first one. Speak my words. If you're taking notes, these these notes are from Yahweh's perspective. Number one, speak my words words. The Lord says to Jeremiah, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose your audience and you don't get to choose your message. 
as my prophet, I want you to speak my words. But you also don't have to be afraid because you're speaking my words. You don't have to be hot stuff yourself. You are not on your own. You are not your own. Just like we said at the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Isn't it such good news that we are not our own? I'm glad I don't belong to me. I'd mess up my life quicker than... I don't belong to me. I belong to Him. Don't say, I'm only a child. Say, the Lord will be with me. You see how that changes everything? What are you tempted to put into the verse 6 of your life? Now, I know you're not called to be a prophet. Okay? We're, we're not all, we're not prophets. I'm not a prophet. You're not prophets. Okay? And we work for, and, we, and we're in a nonprofit organization, right? But we still have callings on our life. We still can speak God's words. What is, what is it you fill in the blank with about doing that thing the Lord wants you to do? Ah, sovereign Lord, I can't do that thing you want me to do. I am only fill in the blank. Maybe you feel too young. Maybe you feel too old. Maybe you feel too quiet. I'm, I'm an introvert. Well, I'm only single. I'm not married. I'm new to the faith. I'm not mature yet. I'm poor. I don't have any resources. I'm only what? The Lord says, don't say that. Say, the Lord will be with me because he will. How precious. Now, you and I are not prophets. Jeremiah had a special, unique calling, but you and I can speak God's words and do it without fear. Last week, there were only two applications to the Resurrection Sunday message, right? The first one was believe. What was the second one? Tell. Tell, right? Believe that Jesus Christ is risen today and tell others that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Did you do that this week? If not, why not? Well, because I'm only... Because someone might... Ryan and Jordan and Leo didn't make excuses. They got up and they spoke God's words. Verse 8, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. He says that 168 times in this book. Declares the Lord. It's like a divine mic drop. I will be with you. Boom. Declares the Lord. The Lord says the same thing to you and me, doesn't he? Has he told you he's going to be with you? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, speak my words. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. I wonder what that was like. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. This is where I've gotten the title for our whole series on Jeremiah. You probably saw it in, in your bulletin. We're going to call this series Uprooted. Uprooted. 
Because that's what Jeremiah's words are going to do to the nations. Jeremiah is appointed or given as a prophet to the nations and kingdoms, not as a king, but as a prophetic spokesman for God. And when he speaks for God, the nations and kingdoms are going to be six things. Do you see the six things in verse 10? Uprooted, torn down, destroyed, overthrown, rebuilt, and replanted. Now notice that four of those are destructive and two of them are constructive. Four of them are negative and two of them are positive in outcomes. The first four are about devastation. The last two are about restoration. And that's how this book is going to be. It's going to be two-thirds doom and then one-third hope. Maybe one-third. And the hope will shine all the brighter because of the darkness of the gloom. The joy is greater because of the sadness. I'm going to say that, I'm going to guess uh, 3,242 times over the next year. The joy is greater because of the sadness. By the end of this book, the whole kingdom of Judah will be uprooted. Heather Joy has been weeding her garden recently. It's that time of the year, right? We're getting our gardens ready. Uh, by, by we, I mean her. I look at the pretty flowers. I, you know, I pay for the seeds. I eat the, the tomatoes, but, but I don't do any of the, the gardening. This week, she had a whole wheelbarrow of weeds one day this week. She takes great delight in ripping those things out, roots and all. Dirt's flying everywhere. There's this gleeful look on her face. And rightfully so, I'm happy for her. When her hands are dirty, she is happy. But imagine for a second being the plant. Ripped up. Roots and all. When we started First Peter in the fall, we were thinking about Afghani refugees. Now we also think of Ukrainian ones. Ripped up. Roots and all. And Jeremiah was getting his people ready to be uprooted as well. You know how Peter was writing to the exiles and the foreigners? Well, Jeremiah is getting his people ready for exile too. This book is a perfect follow-up to our last one and prepares us for being uprooted too. Or to realize that we're already uprooted as we try to live godly lives in an ungodly world citizens of the kingdom of heaven while we sojourn through the kingdoms of this world and look forward to the time when we are fully replanted, when our joy is made full. These six verbs, uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build, and plant, will show up over and over again as we read Jeremiah. Look for them. Because this was his mission. This was the mission Jeremiah was born for, to speak God's words to the nations and watch things happen. Except they don't always. It often seems like God is not keeping his word. Jeremiah is going to prophesy doom and destruction for 40 years. And not only does his preaching not bring revival, it doesn't bring total destruction for 40 years. Imagine saying something's going to happen soon, soon, soon. 
And 38 years go by and it hasn't happened. And 39 years go by and it hasn't happened. So from the beginning, Yahweh had to make it clear to Jeremiah that he would be bringing all of his words to pass. Look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. There he says it again. This happens three times in Jeremiah chapter 1 alone. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. Now, there are a lot of almond trees in Anathoth. They're spring trees. It's like the perfect time of the year to to preach this because they're the ones that are the first to bud in the spring. They were kind of like watch trees. You see an almond tree budding and you go, spring is here. Is spring here in, 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 in central Pennsylvania? I don't know. It's like going to be 80 degrees out there today, but I heard there might be snow later in the week. So what is the plant that says to you spring is here? For me, it's both the forsythia and the daffodils, right? Because I don't notice the green. I notice it when it turns yellow, right? Ah, oh, spring is here. Well, that was the almond tree. When the almond trees budded in Anathoth, it was spring. The Hebrew word for almond is Shaked, shaked. Well, the Lord has a pun planned for Jeremiah. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see a shaked. Look at verse 12. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word for watching is shoked, right? Some of you are totally shoked at this, right? Uh Uh-huh. You see a shaked? Well, I am shoked. Just as you know that when you see an almond branch, that spring will come, you can know that I'm going to see that my words are fulfilled. Spring will come, and so will my prophecies. It's not always going to seem like it, but I'm going to see to it myself. Shoked. Here's point number two. Wait for my words. Wait for my words. Speak my words. And number two, Wait for my words. Yahweh says, trust that my words will be fulfilled. Wait for them. Watch for them. Because I am watching for them. The Lord takes this personally. He's not going to leave it up to chance. He's not going to leave it up to someone else. Amy, I'll bet there's times when you tell Emery to do something, and then you don't leave the room, right? You watch to make sure Emery does it, right? Okay, Emery, I'm not leaving until you put those things away right? Well, that's the idea here. The Lord is saying, I am not leaving it up to somebody else. I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Do you believe that? I'll bet that it feels to some of you in this room right now that the Lord has dropped the ball. When is he going to do the thing that he said? It felt like that many times to the people of Israel living through the story of the Old Testament. But this is the truth right here. I am watching, choked, to see that my word is fulfilled. You remember how Jesus fulfilled God's words even as he hung dying? We saw that last three weeks in John chapter 19. Even while he was dead, I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The Lord himself is supervising the perfectly timed enacting of his words. Wait for it. Wait for his promises to be fulfilled. 
and for his threats too. Look at verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me. There it is again. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. So do you see this picture in your mind's eye? Joan, do you see this big boiling pot on the stove? What's in it? Is it spaghetti? Oil. Okay. It's hot, bubbling oil, and it's on the stove. And you're below it, and it's tilting towards you, right? It's not, you live in the south, and the pot is tilting towards you. Bubble. What is going to happen? You're going to get burnt. You're going to get scalded. That's what this vision was for Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. Verse 14. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Now he doesn't say who is coming from the north. It may be too early in Jeremiah's ministry to reveal that. It's not from the south, though. It's not Egypt. The enemies will be coming from above, from the north, and we know that eventually that will be Babylon. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jeremiah knew that the Lord was going to bring judgment on Judah. All he had to do was wait. The boiling pot was going to be poured out. Yahweh had declared it. They can expect siege warfare. They can expect disaster. They will be scalded. And here's why. Not because of politics. Not because they're kind of the political football kicked around from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon and back again. It wasn't about geopolitics. The Lord uses geopolitics, but that's not why Judah would be scalded. They will be judged because they had forsaken the Lord. They had worshipped idols. They had worshipped what their hands had made. We're going to see this again and again in the book of Jeremiah. There is painted in this book a beautifully ugly portrait of sin. Jeremiah poetically and powerfully explains to us what sin really is. And that's what brought Judah down. See, God wasn't just having a bad day when the exile came. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. The exile was the judicial results of hundreds of years of making, in the making, of forsaking the Lord. What's amazing is that the Lord was so patient and waited so long. But he was watching to see that his word was fulfilled. And that's true of the happy and hopeful promises of Jeremiah as well. In many ways, we're still waiting for them to come to fruition the new covenant has been inaugurated in the blood of Jesus and ratified by the resurrection of Jesus. But we are still waiting for the return of Jesus and the kingdom that he promised. We are still in some ways uprooted and waiting to be planted forever in the kingdom. 
but it will happen. Just wait and see. And while you wait, stand with God's word. That's point number three and last. Number three, stand with my words. Yahweh says, in effect, speak my words. I put them in your mouth. Wait for my words. I'm watching to see that they'll be fulfilled. And stand with my words. Stand up for them. Fight for them if you have to. Don't back down from them, no matter what anybody says. Look at verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. The ESV translates this, dress for work, Jeremiah. (laughs) I like that. This is just what Peter was saying in his letter to his exiles. Prepare your minds for action. Roll up your sleeves and don't back down. If you cower before them, I'll give you something to cower about. Verse 18. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I love that. I want that for me, and I want that for you. I want to be a fortified city. Doesn't that sound strong? A city that's not going to fall down. I want to be an iron pillar. I want to be a bronze wall. I read this week there, are no, there were no bronze walls in the ancient world. Sometimes there were bronze gates. But imagine a bronze wall that goes all the way around the city, impregnable, invincible. I want to be ready to stand with and for God's word against all comers. That's one of the biggest reasons why I'm tackling the prophecy of Jeremiah with you. Because I need to grow in this. I do not like being unpopular. I like to be liked. I love the like button on Facebook. I just love it. Like, like, like. Oh man, feels so good. I'll bet you like to be liked too. But Jeremiah was set from the beginning to be unpopular. Notice who he was set to be prepared to stand against. Look at verse 18 again. Against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. That's everybody. That's everybody inside. It's not the nations that Jeremiah has to contend with. It's his own people. This is the story of this book. Jeremiah did not like being unpopular either. There are some people who do like to be unpopular, right? They like a fight. That wasn't me. That isn't me, and that was not Jeremiah either. But he was prepared to do it because the word of the Lord had come to him. He felt these words. He had them inside of him. He says in chapter 20 that they were like a fire burning in his bones. He had to speak them, whether people wanted to hear them or not. You and I need to prepare ourselves to be uprooted and also to be unpopular. To say what needs to be said with love, with tears, whether people want to hear it or not. Jeremiah had a backbone. 
Jeremiah had a spine. He was not only a child. For 40 years, he was a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall. He was unpopular, but he was invincible. Not because he was so great, but because, verse 19, the Lord was with him and rescued him, and that same God will be with us and if we stand with his words, declares the Lord. Amen?